up in your grip like my name was Search Warwick. <coughs> hey guys, I just got this bait from Treacherous Tony. <coughs> it tastes pretty nasty, but I look cool with it, right? You guys should give it a try. Be cool like me. Nah, you look pretty stupid. And if you get caught with that thing, you're going to be in big, big trouble. Besides, I heard Treacherous Tony is that lame guy who likes to come around and hang around little kids. If you're hanging with him, you must be lame too. Come on guys, let's get out of here before we get in trouble like Cooper too. <coughs> oh no, Sergeant, be safe. You kids get out of here. Cooper, tell me where you got that from. I won't snitch. <laughs> I don't see what's so funny. Vape pens like that can lead to harder drugs and cause more problems for you. They're not appropriate for little kids such as yourself. So I suggest you do the right thing and tell me who you got it from. Treacherous Tony gave it to me. Tristan, <clears throat> I want you to take me there now. Are you? Yes, I'm Treacherous Tony. What do you want? Do you have a card? And why are you selling this to kids? Yeah, I got a medical marijuana card. I don't sell it to kids. I give it to them. You give it to them? What kind of an adult are you? It's a vape pen. What's the big deal? Are you kidding me? The big deal? Get out of here, Sergeant No Safe. Sometimes I just wanna. Yep, I think I will. All right, all right, all right, I give up. I won't do it again. That's right, you won't. You're off to jail. Put your hands up and come with me. Remember kids, what's made for adults aren't suitable for kids. Those vape pens may look cool, but they are not good for you. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Oh no, Sergeant, be safe. <laughs> Subscribe now.
start the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you for tuning in for another weekly episode of Black and Blue. This is the podcast where we discuss individuals who are in the law enforcement community or first responders, whether they are rookie, seasoned, or retirees. And we also discuss their publications, their trainings, and their experiences. So you're in the right place. If you're looking for some entertainment, you're going to see some through Sergeant Be Safe. If you're looking for some knowledge, you're going to gain some through the websites that we have on here and the experiences that we're going to share. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm your host, I'm Coach Clee, your motivational speaker, your empowerment coach, your author, and your favorite baker's favorite baker. And we've been hosting this show now on this segment of the show by way of Black and Blue for over a year, a year and five months now. And we've been doing the lab with most of you transferred over for over four years now. So thank you guys for tuning in. We got a special episode today. I got a guest. He's back in the background right now. I'm going to bring him to the stage in a minute. Got to put some things out there. Like you saw, Sergeant B. Safe is still on the prowl. His children's book is coming. It'll be here by the summertime. We plan on giving it away to 300 kids, either in the school or summer camp for free. So therefore, your donations, if you choose to do so, go toward that platform and go toward One Way Publishing, which is the publishing company that it'll be utilized on. You're streaming right now with Black and Blue on five different platforms. Like I said, five different platforms. We got uh, Jamon's on here. Thank you for tuning in. He said, good evening. Gregory Foster said, good evening. Thank you, guys. And our guest right now said, very cool. After one of the Sergeant Be Safe cartoons, we're on five different platforms. We're on two on YouTube, uh, two on Facebook and one on LinkedIn. So if you're looking for your, a shout out or have your name uh, or highlights that you're looking for, make sure you put your name and where you're from in the comment section. That's the only way I'm going to see who's on here. Uh, you got to put your name and comment in the comment section. If you have your question, this is very interactive. Make sure you put your question in the comment section as well. And we'll acknowledge them to the best of our ability because we're going to have a lot of fun. And we're going to learn a bunch of things here too as well. And like I said, this is sponsored by One Way Publishing. One Way Publishing is a publishing company whose motto is they can turn a mere thought into a book that's bought. There's a few books right behind me that I wrote myself. There's a couple other clients that are here and some that aren't on the platform as of right now uh, that have normally tune in. They wrote, had their dreams come true by using One Way Publishing as well. One Way Publishing is the sponsor for Sergeant B. Safe. And Sergeant B. Safe, like I said, has his children's book coming. And next month, we plan on hitting you with new cartoons with uh, Sergeant B. Safe Season 2 and the upcoming uh, cartoons that we have. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, make sure you see it in the comment section and you'll see it scrolling below. Workwithclee.com is uh, the website that you need to. You can be a comment. I mean, I'm sorry, you can be a guest on the show. If you're looking to have your book done through One Way Publishing, that's also the website for that. If you're looking to do voiceovers or want to be a voice coach, or not voice coach, but voicing for Sergeant B. Safe, that is also the website for that. But I'm going to quit harping on that and check out this commercial by One Way Publishing. Have you ever wanted to explain something, tell a story, or leave a piece of you behind? Have you ever wanted to write your own book, but not specifically know how to do it? Well, get ready. One Way Publishing's here. We can turn a mere thought into a book that's bought. People need to learn from you. They need to hear that story. Kids need to read that book. Imagine if you wrote your own children's book and get to read it to your kids. Here at One Way Publishing, we can get your fiction, nonfiction, fantasy, instructional, what have you, done. 
all at a reasonable price and definitely a reasonable time frame. And if you don't believe me, ask Sergeant B. Safe. He's working on his right now. He's definitely writing the best chapter of his life. Make sure you check out his cartoon skits that air on the podcast Black and Blue. As Sergeant B. Safe said, that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. And there you have it. Like I said, that's the website and that's the commercial for One Way Publishing. Make sure you guys check that out when you have the time. All right. Make sure you guys do that after the live itself. Make sure you get, hook me up with a couple of uh, likes too as well because we got some good information and we need the likes keep the algorithm going. And we got a lot of information and a lot of fun to share. Uh, and I'm looking forward to this live because this one has been rescheduled, like I told you guys before. And he's got a, a great great experiences and a great company he's coming forward with and he's going to share some of these experiences some of the knowledge that he has with it uh ladies and gentlemen boys and girls i'm going to introduce to you quentin williams quentin williams is a former federal fbi agent he's a federal a former federal prosecutor he's also held senior positions with the nba and the nfl he's also a, 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 a guest academy uh guest host for the uh, fbi academy where i'm sure he instructs the the, the cadets very well and I know he's also the CEO for D2C, which is dedicated to the community, his um, nonprofit organization, which we're mainly going to be discussing right now. Quentin, are you there? I'm here. Good Perfect. To, good to see you. Nice to see you as well. Thank you for making yourself available to come onto the platform. I appreciate you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been a, a long time coming. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. And that's so. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. So my name is Quentin Williams, and uh, I'm a, I'm a professionally I'm uh, I have a background in law, law mm -hmm. enforcement, business, and sports. I I grew up personally. I grew up in Yonkers, New York, and okay. uh, I was born on the island of St. Thomas. Uh, Grew up in New York City for four years and then moved to Yonkers, New York. Did all my schooling in Yonkers, New York, K through 12. Uh, was fortunate enough to, through challenges, through the crack at the epidemic, uh, got a football scholarship and it changed my life. Uh, went to Boston College, okay. played football with Doug Flutie. He was a teammate of mine. He won the Heisman, an extraordinary athlete. And um, and after graduating from Boston College with an economics degree, I went to law school. Okay. And, um, the irony of that surrounds my my matriculation at law school is I really couldn't read well. Mm. Yet I I went to law school and um, kind of powered through it. I I don't I don't comprehend words the way my friends were able to comprehend words i uh i struggled for all of my my learning years with that mm -hmm. really through through my adult years to still have the condition um right. and, and but i i learned to read really well using the tools i have in law school because i had no other choice i had to figure out how to succeed or else mm -hmm. I was going back to do what my friends, some of my friends were doing, and they right. were they were killing it on the streets, yeah, and being killed. Yeah. 
So I I got through law school with that condition mm -hmm. and had the opportunity to practice law for a few months before being called by the FBI to be an agent, which changed my life uh, again. I, I kept having these stages of change that uh -huh. completely pivoted my life. And the FBI did that for me as well. I can believe that to be so. Is that where you originally got your burning desire to get into law enforcement when they came looking for recruiting for you? Or did you have something in your psyche from either childhood, high school, college, or anything uh, along those lines? I had no burning desire to be in law enforcement. <laughs> Actually, when I was a kid, I remember when I was in the third grade drawing a picture of what I wanted to be. And I did draw a picture of a police officer. Mm -hmm. um, I used to watch a show called SWAT, Beretta, Starsky and Hutch. All these shows in the 70s when I was a kid were, were uh, the most popular shows. But then there was an intervening event when mm. the crack epidemic hit Yonkers. Mm. And Yonkers, although it is an extraordinary place now, when I talk about the way the, the police the department works now, it's at a very high level. Mm. Good stuff they're doing. But back in the 70s, not so much. So I had a lot of bad experiences with, with cops okay. when I was a kid. And it changed my mind. Mm -hmm. And so when I became a teenager, I didn't want to have anything to do with law mm -hmm. enforcement. I had some run-ins. And, um, and so th that changed a lot for me. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to law school, the FBI was recruiting at my law school. And they... They approached me and said, you'd make a good FBI agent. Do you ever consider applying? And I, I said, no, I don't want to be a cop. Um, mm -hmm. My friends were getting taken to prison by cops. Right. And and then I rethought it and I, I started to think about, you know, I, I'm, I'm here complaining about the system mm -hmm. and cops and why not? Why not be a part of the change? Be, but be, in order for that to happen, I'd have to learn mm -hmm. the system. So I decided, okay, I'm going to apply to the FBI because I wanted to be part of the evolution of law mm -hmm. enforcement, and um, and I got in, and and that was my the beginning of my journey in law enforcement. Okay, well, happy that you got in, and thank you for sharing that that background and and history of uh, your origins. Um, yeah. Through the process from college all the way up until they came recruiting and you, then you applied, did you have anyone in particular or even through life, uh, anyone who was a mentor towards you or helped influence you to become the person that you are today? Yeah, my my life is based on that <laughs> because my skill sets are really, if they're average, that's good. Uh, my skill sets aren't high level skill sets. I don't consider it. I'm not saying this to be humble. I'm saying this because my reality is when you're not able to read mm -hmm. the way my peers were reading, I wasn't able to read the way I couldn't study the same way. I couldn't, it would take me four or five times the amount of time. Oh, to wow. Work. And so I'd be up all night mm -hmm. because I knew I had to get out of our situation. We were in poverty. You know, mm -hmm. I was on welfare for 17 years of my life. Mm -hmm. So we were in poverty and I didn't want to be in poverty for the rest of my life. I knew that there were two opportunities to get out of that poverty. And so mm -hmm. I just hedged my bets with those two. It was academics and athletics. Okay. And so I just, I'm an all effort guy. I, I wasn't the most talented football player, mm -hmm. but I worked, I outworked everybody. 
Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with, with academics. I wasn't really the most talented, but I worked so hard that things started to click. Mm-hmm. And, um, and while I was going through these phases of my life, the struggles and challenges, I had great people around me, okay. people, whether it was family or friends, mm-hmm. my mother, my grandparents who became like second parents mm-hmm. after a pretty turbulent beginning. Okay. And then I had uh, folks like Jason Brussman, who was an attorney who convinced me to go to law school. And, uh, and I didn't even know what law law school was. I didn't know what a lawyer was, but he was a lawyer. So he said, you need to go to law school. Mm-hmm. And I applied with really mediocre grades from Boston college. And I got in. Okay. And, because I got in, I had to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not necessarily what you want to do when you have a reading deficit the way I had it, because mm-hmm. that's all you do in law school is read. Is read, yeah. But I I figured I, I had to succeed at it because if I didn't, I was going back to be with my friends who were, they were making a lot of money. And yeah. that's that was a driving force for me because I was... I was so impoverished mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, so I got through I got through law school and mm-hmm. that started the journey into the law. Okay. And and Jason Brussman was a big a big part of that, along with my mother and my grandparents, of course. Mm-hmm. But Jason Brussman came in and he really he's the one who forced me to go to law school. At the time I was a bouncer. I I, I got out of school. I was an economics major. I couldn't find a job. I had mm-hmm. some interviews. I didn't know what I was doing on the interviews. I really had no direction when it came to it. And so I had bounced at a big nightclub in New York City during my before my senior year in college. And then I got I got an offer to bounce at a, at the biggest nightclub in the city called 1018. Okay. When I after I graduated and 1018 was notorious. I mean, you look it up now, they have TV shows about it. 1018 had everybody in that club from Michael Jackson and John Travolta to the biggest crack dealers in the nation. Okay. All in one place. So it was Mm -hmm. extremely dangerous, but it was celebrity filled 4,000 people a night. And I thought that's what I was going to do. I was was convinced this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm enjoying myself. I'm having a good time. I had um, people who were working with me, I had like Mariah Carey was a regular. Um, Vin Diesel was one of one of my co-bouncers. He he and I used to, <laughs> used to bounce all the time. Wow! All these incredible people that I met, mm-hmm. and uh, and I didn't want to leave it. But Jay said, "You're not going to do that forever. You, you got to do something else. You got to go to law school." And uh-huh. so that's why I went. Wow! Interesting. Interesting enough. I mean. Living the life, you, you get to see a lot of people come and go. Hey, Seti P's in here. What's going on? Thank you for tuning in. You get to see a lot of people come and go. You get to see a lot of entertainers. You get to see a lot of street-level entertainers as well. So you get the, the mix. Uh, and you say 4,000 people a night, so it's packed. It's a lot of energy. And it's something that, that not a lot of people get to experience. So I can understand how you're like, I can do this forever. I'm pretty sure if you're not making, you're, you're making good money. And if you're not, you're making a ton of connections in the process. So that either way, they go hand in hand to where you're like, I'm, I can do this for, for going on for until, until it stops, until the club closes. And then eventually 
you, you like you said, you go off into uh, law school and you become a lawyer and then get recruited by the FBI. Can you tell us about your experiences uh, while you were an FBI agent? Yeah, sure. So I was in the FBI for only four years, actually okay. three years, eight months. Uh, I started out in New Haven, New Haven, Connecticut, and um, they put us on the the squad at Squad Five, where a lot of the reactive work is handled: mm -hmm. bank robberies, kidnappings, hijackings. Also, um, the applicants were handled out of that squad. So I was doing a bunch of bunch of stuff, but chasing mm -hmm. down bank robbers, literally running after them in the street, that kind of thing was extremely exciting. As I you can imagine, that. it was playing out my childhood fantasies when I used to watch Beretta and, yep. and Starsky and Hutch. Um, I was transferred to Bridgeport after about nine months and okay. Bridgeport's a smaller office. It's called a resident agency. And there, that's when I when I went undercover. Uh, I was mm -hmm. I entered into the undercover program and worked a major international uh, case for the rest of my time in, okay. while also doing some of the other things, bank robberies and, and kidnappings. And, uh, and that was it, was a, it was an experience of a lifetime. Yeah. And I thought I was going to be there forever. Mm -hmm. I think they gave me too much too soon. Because <laughs> after sense. about three years, I started to think, you know what else what else do i want to do and they didn't they didn't have openings down in dc for me to go into management mm -hmm. um not in the immediate future it's right. going to take quite a few years so the the u.s attorney and i had been working very closely together on the undercover case and on a civil rights case that we worked together and he he called me into his office one day and he asked, asked me if i ever wanted to practice law again he did it through one of his one of his um his chiefs of his criminal division len mm -hmm. Boyle. and and so i i never practiced law really <laughs> i i practiced for maybe six months eight months after uh -huh. law school in between law school and quantico mm -hmm. so i didn't know what practicing law was but he said do you want to come over here and be a federal prosecutor I said, I really don't know that you understand. I have never practiced law. So, you know, federal prosecutors, these people are brilliant. Yeah. They're, they're seasoned trial attorneys. I never tried a case. I didn't know what I was doing. And um, You're right said, in the fire, I huh? understand. I, he said, I understand, but I think you'll you'll adapt to the learning curve and you'll you'll make it. So I said, well, how how long do I have to make a decision? He said nine months. I said hmm. nine months, really. I, I, I expected him to say nine days. Yeah. And so about five months into that nine months, I called him up and I said, "You know what? I'm ready." I, I hmm. said, um, "I I I'd gotten to be a little bored as That's an FBI agent because I did so much so soon, mm -hmm. and so we I started I started as a federal prosecutor." a few months after that okay can you, you told us on how you, you rise to fame uh, or quote unquote so to speak on becoming a federal prosecutor but can you tell us about the experiences on doing that without um, i know that's being a federal prosecutor that's at a high level like you said there's seasoned uh, attorneys that make it to that level so they, they go from uh college to agent to actually being in a uh, prosecutor itself, it's got to be a big jump, and it's got to be uh, over exhilarating for just the experience and and the know how on how to 
where do you start? Where, what, 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 what do you do? How do you get? How do you curve that learning curve at a at a fast level? Yeah, it was it was an experience. I tell you, I uh, the first day I walked in because I knew everybody there. I'd worked with them as an mm -hmm. FBI agent. So John Durham was the deputy. He was a okay. number two. And John Durham's very well known because he's done a lot of the special counsel work for four different presidents. Okay. Uh, and so he called, well, I walked into his office. I said, so I'm here. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm here. And he reached behind him to his shelf and he handed me two files. And he said, well, um, in, leave us in two weeks, you're going to trial with wow. one of these cases and then you know another one's kind of be coming up and and that's it was trial by fire i did not know what i was doing and yeah. fortunately had great mentors uh tom murphy was a great mentor mm -hmm. um as one of my great mentors and i went to trial i, I tried two cases in the first couple months i'd been there and I, they told me that we held the record. You know, it was I, I tried the cases as uh, as the primary, but I had Tom there and some very very uh, good trial attorneys with me. But we got return verdicts in twenty three minutes and thirty two minutes. They said that at the time it it was a record. Wow! Uh, it was trial by fire. I enjoyed mm -hmm. it a great deal, and I learned very quickly mm -hmm. what to do and what not to do. Okay. And, uh, and then, you know, about a year into it, a little bit less than a year into it, I was offered a job with the NFL. And mm. so I made a decision if I was going to stay, I was mm -hmm. enjoying myself, or if I was going to really live my dream. Working at the NFL was, was the dream. It was I a long dream. And so I asked the, the U.S. attorney what I should do. And I asked John Durham, too. And they said, hey, listen, we'll keep this thing open for you. If you don't, if you don't want to be there, come back. But they said, you got to go take that job. I mean, there, there aren't many chances like this that come, come by. Right. So I, I uh, left to go to the NFL office and that was exciting. That was again, another phase that was really exciting. So what exactly did you get to do there? They created this position, Paul Tagliabue created a position that was a response to the White House issues in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And so back in the in the 90s, the, the early to mid 90s, the Dallas Cowboys had this thing called the White House, mm -hmm. where some of the players, including Michael Irvin, it's been, I mean, been well reported on this. They rented a house across from the Valley Ranch training camp and mm -hmm. facility. And they did things that they shouldn't have done. Right. And, and it and it brought upon them some bad press, terrible right. press. Really mm -hmm. turned the league upside down for a little while. So they created this position because they wanted to handle the violence policy that was that they were trying to create. And they also wanted to communicate to ownership down to the players some of the new policies we were putting in place to curb this kind of behavior. Right. And that's why they created a position. I was the first to take that position. And um, it was it was a great opportunity because I traveled a lot. I was single, so I, I traveled to four, mm -hmm. seas, four cities per week. Wow. I had all the owners and players mm -hmm. and GMs and and uh, had, a, had a great time, learned a lot about the league. 
But after about two years, it it wore on me because it's a lot of travel. I bet, yeah. And and uh, and I actually wanted to get into the on, into the business side mm-hmm. of of sports. Mm-hmm. And so I'd been recruited by a couple of teams over those two years to come mm-hmm. to work for the a team, and the Jacksonville Jaguars was one of them. I accepted mm-hmm. a job with the Jaguars and asked them. The condition was I wanted to learn about the the cap, the salary cap, the CBA, right. and mm-hmm. so that's what I did. I left to go down down to Jacksonville and picked a good time to leave because we had some of the best years that Jacksonville ever experienced with Mark Brunell and Jimmy Smith and Fred Taylor mm-hmm. and Tony Bacelli and Keenan McCardle. We had we had a great. We should have gone to the Super Bowl. Should have won it. We had the best the best. Uh, we had a fourteen and two record one year. Remember. And, uh, Mm-hmm. And um, and so I did that. I negotiated contracts. I ran a couple of departments, um, player administration and mm-hmm. community affairs. And that came to an end after three years because I was recruited by the NBA. They okay. were starting D League, and they wanted uh, they wanted to tap some new talent to be presidents of the new teams mm-hmm. across the Southeast region. And I was picked to to run the. North Charleston Logators out of Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, that opened my eyes to a great deal of our history in America, because Charleston is steeped in history. It is, and uh, and so I did that for a couple of years, and worked with Alex English, who's a, who's a, mm. a good friend. Mm-hmm. He works with us now at D two C. He's a, was an incredible coach, of course, a Hall of Fame player. Has his jersey retired at every level, mm-hmm. and and about two years into it, I get called into the president of the league to his office. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, my friend, my friend Chris Palmer, who was uh, was a head coach at one point, and he's just a lifelong coach. But he, he ran the Cleveland Browns at one point. Mm-hmm. He walked into my office in Jacksonville when he was the offensive coordinator, and he said, "You know." Just got to tell you something. I don't know what I'm telling you, but I would tell you, you are nobody in sports until somebody fires you. Wow. Like, what, are you what are you talking about? Like, where is this coming from? <laughs> he said, yeah, you are nobody until you get fired in sports. He said, most people in sports get fired at some point, players mm-hmm. and coaches especially. They wow. all get fired. And I said, but I'm a front office guy. It doesn't apply to me. Well, when I went to the NBA after about two years, the president of the league calls me in and he says, you're fired. Wow. It turned me upside down. Um, they were they were having strategy concerns about the league. They wanted to change the personnel and change the, re, the where the, the teams were. Mm-hmm. And they fired about five of us. But I had never been fired by anyone. Yeah. I never lost a job. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was a golden child. It was Charleston. They they told me I was a golden child. They child. They gave us uh, a reality series on ESPN. Mm. It was incredible. Uh huh. Fired out. So what am I going to do now? And that's when I made the decision. I'm never going to allow that to happen to me it's again. Not, yeah. Hold and that not much power over you again. So I empowered wow. myself. I started my own companies and. Um, one of those one of those organizations is a not for profit organization called D2C, but yeah. I started a law firm, a media company, and a consultancy, and and so that's okay. that's my journey professionally, and that's where I am today. 
Perfect, perfect. And that's a perfect segue. We're going to pause for the cause. We got to take a, a two second commercial break and we're going to jump right back into the interview and we're going to learn on part two of everything that's going on and share some experiences. You guys stay tuned. Excuse me, madam. You're standing still in a no parking zone. If you don't get a move on that body, I'll be forced to give you a ticket. Hey, it's Sergeant PC. Danger! Danger! Excuse me, ma'am. The sign says no parking. I'm not parking. I'm just running into Duncan Buck to get my coffee. You are parked. You're outside of your vehicle and you're illegally parked in a fire lane. Parking in a proper spot and taking a few extra steps is not going to make you late for work. Matter of fact, here comes the fire truck now and you're in the way. This is going to cause a problem. I may need to just have this vehicle towed so the fire department can get in here and deal with this emergency. If the sign says no parking, do as it says. Don't park there. Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. It would be my fault if a tragedy happened. Thanks for not giving me a ticket, Sergeant. Be safe. Now I know for next time. Well, just consider this your warning and definitely let this be the last time. I'm Sergeant B. Safe, and it may seem minor, but it's very important. Make sure you park legally. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Subscribe now. And we are back, jumping right back into the interview, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys are enjoying yourself. We learned a lot. Just, uh, I mean, we're here with Quentin Williams. He's he's explained on how he's he's lived the life that a lot of people dream of. He's done things on different facets, on so, so many facets, on levels. On he's been an FBI agent. He's been a federal prosecutor. He's worked with the NFL. He's worked with the NBA. And then, lo and behold, while at a top spot with the NBA, you get let go from that your job, which lights another fire under you. Um, they, they make sure that no one ever has that much power to let you go from an agency again. So therefore, you said you started three companies, a consulting uh, company, uh, a law firm, and then your dedication to the community uh, nonprofit. Is that correct? Yeah, media company, too. We okay. do projects in digital and, and film um, and branding. So, yeah, the consultancy is basically as a speaker and as a strategist mm -hmm. and uh, the law firm transactional work. Mm -hmm. and and then de dedication to community, which is really my calling. It's it's the reason why I was born. Okay, we call, we call it D two C. D two C, exactly. So what? How is that your call? Why? What gives? Why are you so passionate about this? I know this is kind of bridging the gap between um, the law enforcement and community, and kind of getting. Uh, I believe I saw a clip of yours where it's um, if you had twenty seconds to explain something, that twenty seconds can be a, a game changer on both sides. Yeah, we, we believe that relationships are the foundational pieces for changing the climate, the current climate, this divisiveness. It's all about relationships. So we talk a lot in society about 
implicit bias, anti-racism, DEI, uh, mm-hmm. cultural awareness, all those things are very important, but we wrap it into a relationship building construct where we teach and we have a curriculum that's been refined over two decades. We teach folks and facilitate strategy sessions for how to build more meaningful relationships. Okay. It's that simple. If we can get people, human being to human being, to see each other mm-hmm. with empathy and compassion, mm-hmm. we can change the dynamic in society. So that's what we do. And the audience is, it really is applicable to every audience. We do a lot of work with law enforcement and the community mm-hmm. they serve, but we also work in corporate America, in academia. Okay. We do a okay. lot of work in academia with colleges and K through 12. And we do work in, with incarcerated populations. Mm-hmm. And we just started with the military. We okay. are now at, at Marine Corps University at Quantico. Mm-hmm. And we are, we are starting the facilitation there with leadership at the Marines and Marine Corps University. So it's about how do we get human beings to have better relationships, both personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. I think that is a solution, a top solution for some of today's societal ills. Yes, that is that's a, it's a good point. I know. And we're as we see, especially in the law enforcement community now, uh, ever since COVID, uh, thing, the, law enforcement is very cyclical, where we're normally in the middle where we like to be, but sometimes we're at the very bottom of the, the cycle itself where everyone hates us, no one needs us, where no we, we, we get snide comments everywhere we go. Most times we're in the middle, like I said, where we're not liked by everyone, not loved by everyone, but just there. And then when we're needed, you know, we are, we're appreciated. Then coming out of normally a bad time, we're at the very height of it, where uh, thank you for your service. We appreciate everything you do. Uh, you guys can't do anything wrong. And that, that lasts for a very short amount of time normally. Then it comes right back to the, one of those two rungs. Um, having relationships like that, bridging the gap like that, how difficult is it for you to get organizations together to do these kind of trainings or to get two different styles of the community in law enforcement or our students in academia or, or whatever kind two different genre of people together to sit down and have a conversation? Well, I spent a lot of years begging people to listen to what mm-hmm. we had to say. And, you know, the, it's one of those issues that folks will distract themselves from. They'll ignore it if they don't have to deal with it. And then they'll react when they do have to deal with it. When you have a George Floyd, now everybody has to deal with it. So right. now they're trying to scramble to figure out what they're going to do to check the box. Well, I, um, I, I've been, after struggling for so many years, I think the struggle, I think everything is purposeful. After the struggle, we figured out exactly how to deliver this information through trial and error. We uh-huh. made many mistakes. Uh-huh. And and because we've been chopping that wood every day for mm-hmm. two decades, wow. now we've become known and mm-hmm. our reputation is, is pretty good and the data is excellent. So folks now approach us. Gotcha. We don't have to. We don't have to chase after it. They mm-hmm. approach us because they want to attack things in a different way. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you said it, uh, the process, the overnight success, has been two decades in the making. 
two long decades, two <laughs> decades of struggle, strife. I'm talking about folks saying that they want to do something, never calling you back after yeah. saying they want to do it. They're going to do it and they never call you back. Hundreds of those. Mm -hmm. I would speak wherever I could because mm -hmm. I wanted people to be exposed to what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the overnight success over two decades, it's a great characterization of what it is. But I wouldn't change a thing because mm -hmm. it forced us to refine what we're doing. And we delivered it all through story. We delivered it in a very special way. We attack hearts. That's what we focus on. We right. want hearts to open. Mm -hmm. Hearts, souls, and spirits. This is extremely spiritual for me. Not okay. necessarily religious. Mm -hmm. Spiritual, though. I believe that this is from, from a much higher power, from a God, from God, mm -hmm. that put me on earth to be a part of this, along with the faculty we have and mm -hmm. the, the front office we have. These folks are committed and called to do this work because it's it's really about protecting life. Mm. It's about human beings looking out for other human beings, mm -hmm. irrespective of where they come from, what right. they look like, who they love. All that stuff doesn't matter. It's human being to human being. Mm. How are we going to treat each other? Nice, nice and greatly needed, honestly. <laughs> To open up hearts and the, and the, the get it down to the nitty gritty and the, the shared, so human beings can actually get along with human beings. Let me ask you this: If um, you, you were holding a town hall and the town hall wanted to get a certain law enforcement agency um to come in there um to to either mediate or do a training, uh, can you give us a mock example or just something from your experience on what would take place for in, in that um during that time frame? Sure. Well, we have. We have about 60 hours of curriculum. We deliver typically four to eight hours okay. in the introductory phase. So folks get to see what it's about. And then if they want more, we, we give them more. We also consult and guide them through policy as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we, will, we will open our hearts. So our faculty mm -hmm. members are trained to deliver their own story in a way that will open up hearts so that vulnerability becomes a part of the session with mm -hmm. the audience. They have to trust the people they're in front of. Mm -hmm. And so we start in that way and the stories are pretty deep. And mm -hmm. then we have the, the audience engage with each other. So we have law enforcement, just, just using law enforcement sessions as an example, uh -huh. we have law enforcement and the community they serve in the same room. This isn't in a sterile environment. And a lot of the community members actually don't necessarily like law enforcement. Right. So these are the best ones because <laughs> they're going to push back. Yes. And they're going to make people accountable at the same time. And and so getting those two parties to appreciate each other and to embrace each other by the end of the session is a tall order. Uh -huh. but, we, but we get it done probably 90% of the time. Okay. We have our ratings are 90 to 95% favorable. That's good. So yeah. I got into this thing thinking maybe three out of 10, I'll mm -hmm. do three out of 10. We'll get maybe three people whose hearts will change out of 10 mm -hmm. and we're getting nine out of 10, 9.5 out of 10. That's and good. so they'll engage with each other. 
We will have solutions to some of the most pressing issues, and then we will give them the curriculum about building relationships. It's called the recipe for reconciliation. Mm. And this okay. recipe has simple steps to get from where we are right now to that mm. place of love. How do we get to love? That's the question. Mm. And so we will we will give them those simple steps. And we do it all, all through story. And then they have those tools to take back to implement immediately as soon as they leave that room after engaging and building a relationship with somebody who they might not have necessarily appreciated prior to walking in the room. Right. Everybody's winning walking out of that room. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Come to some sort of level of consciousness on the same level is, is a win in itself. Yes, yes, absolutely. So you're, you're also an author too, correct? Yes, yeah. I wrote a book. And for a guy who has a reading deficit, I never thought I'd even, you know... <laughs> Well, that's a feat in itself. Okay. I mean, uh, I, I know uh, for, I know authors. I'm an author myself. So writing a book is a, a tall task. It's a huge accomplishment. It's a very uh, um, it's very prideful when you get it done. Trust me. Uh, and then to have a reading deficit on top of it. I know that's no small order in itself. So I commend you for that. Uh, your publication. What exactly did you write on? So I have it's a, it's a small book. I'm writing another two books as well. And okay. um, those are those are going to be great books but this book is a it, it's really what it was an essay to my son hmm. that's what it was i i wrote it in response to being stopped um in drug interdictions hmm. for about a decade and i was being stopped going up and down the highway i-95 uh -huh. to new york from from north carolina hmm. and i would get stopped and the interaction would take two minutes with the trooper mm -hmm. and because it, it happened so quickly and so seamlessly my my former wife thought that it would be a good idea if i would write for me to write a book about how i interacted with the police uh -huh. and so i said nah i don't want to do that i'm not necessarily <laughs> trying to write a book it would take me forever i thought you know mm -hmm with the issues I had and not many nobody knew about my issues by the way I didn't really talk about them a lot I started talking about them when I was an adult but I didn't really I didn't broadcast my mm -hmm. deficit to many people so uh you know she she said I should write write this book and it would save some lives and mm -hmm. then after I said no several times she said you should write it for our son wow um the problem is we didn't have one we didn't have any children. She was pregnant, though. She was three months pregnant, and she knew she was having a boy. So she she convinced me that I should write this thing. And then in the next two two or so weekends, I wrote this 31-page wow. book. It's called A Survival Guide, How Not to Get Killed by the Police. Mm -hmm. um, it has my stories of being stopped by the police in it and how I handled those situations and how how everything worked out as best they could even even in one very challenging situation when i was arrested in newport rhode island because i fit the profile of somebody uh and i was an fbi agent at the time i was arrested. oh wow um, and and how i how i was able to handle that and so i i give tools in the book for folks so that they can handle their traffic stops properly mm. and it and it helps cops because as you know cops want to be safe 
Yeah, That's the number one thing. And mm-hmm. so this makes them safer when the drivers and passengers know what not to do and what to do. And so that book has been distributed tens of thousands of times across across the nation in, with our programs and online. Mm-hmm. And it's it's worked out really well and, and given us a lot of confidence that there are solutions out there. Good, good. If anyone wanted to get a copy of that publication, how would they go about doing so? If you just go to dedication to community.org that's dedication to community.org there's a place uh on the page to buy the book and i've donated the book's proceeds to d2c so i don't make any money off the book i i I didn't write it because uh i wanted to make money i wrote it for my son actually and i wanted to have a conversation with my son when he turned eight about how to engage with the police mm-hmm. and how to build relationships. Mm-hmm. And he's 10 now. I haven't had the conversation fully with him because I want so much to preserve his innocence. But the time is coming and right. I'm going to have a conversation with him. And I have a daughter who's only a year younger than him. So so between Quinn and Bella, my two my two uh, two babies, I, I'm going to have that conversation. And I have a book now for them to read while while i'm having that conversation nice that makes it a lot easier and not only uh did you write it for your son and daughter uh and we appreciate it uh the law enforcement community appreciates it and i know uh, a lot of um just for community relations in itself i know there's people out there that appreciate it too it seems like it's a lost art uh uh, lost knowledge the older we get the more i I remember seeing um gruff the crime dog commercials i remember um uh, officer friendly uh, that's a little before my time but i remember watching some of the the vhs tapes that they would come in um during school breaks and they would teach you certain things you do for, for certain situations certain things you don't do speaking yes no's thank yous please sir ma'am just the small things that get you that take you far places Smokey the Bear, the only you can prevent forest fires, how to properly put out a forest fire. And I'm like, I'll never be in the woods. So I don't have to worry about it. But I mean, those things get ingrained in you in a young age. So the, now that those they, things like that have dwindled, I'm I'm pretty sure your your book is a great resource for individuals that are coming in, in this generation and generations uh, uh, behind us that actually look for knowledge and have no idea how to interact with a traffic stop. I remember while working, I'm not going to give a, a full example. Um, but while working, I remember there was a, a, a individual who was pulled over and had no idea to pull to the right to the left. Mm-hmm. Was very nervous, got out the car. Bad mistake. Never want to get out the car, ladies and gentlemen, when you're on a traffic stop. But he didn't know what to do. He's like, I'm sorry, what exactly do you need? Driver's license, registration, insurance. Didn't know where any of those items were. Panicking, sweating, heart beating. You know, just a simple, you know, after you about have a seat, take a couple seconds, calm down, and we'll have a conversation. As opposed to just frantic and not knowing what to do and then reacting out of nervousness, which could be mistaken for something else. So just having that uh, little bit of knowledge early on, it, it could be a huge game changer. It is a big deal uh, to be prepared for it because there's a good chance if you're a driver that during the course of your lifetime, you're going to get pulled over. Even mm-hmm. cops get pulled over. So mm-hmm. there's a really good chance, almost like I'd say – probably 99% chance you're going to get pulled over if you're a driver because Uh that's just, you know, that I've had chiefs tell me that they could pull every person driving over at some point during their drive because Mm -hmm. 
folks go over the line they they run you know through stop signs a little bit too much they go pet whatever it is there's a reason to pull everybody over so mm -hmm. be prepared for it and that's why we we are distributing this book because we want folks to be prepared we want cops to be safe it's a pro cop book by the way mm -hmm. even though the title is you know as a as a it's slightly provocative, obviously, you know, how, to, how not to get killed by the police. Uh -huh. But that title was was given for a reason, not to be provocative. Right. Because of some of my clients who were entertainers and sports figures who would call me at two in the morning after being pulled over, after going to their old neighborhood, when I told them not to, uh, would go to their old neighborhood with a lot of money, a big car, and, and a lot of jewelry, and hang out with the people that they used to hang out with who were not doing the right thing. Exactly, yeah. And they would call me at 2 in the morning and say, how do I not get killed by the police? I'm being pulled over. So I said, that's the title of the book. I've gotten that question so many times over the last 25, 30 years. And, um, and, and, I, and I made sure that I titled it that, but I made sure also in the preface to note that I believe that a great number, the vast majority of cops are there for the right reason. This mm -hmm. is not about all cops are bad. This is about right. the vast majority are great. They're sacrificing, mm -hmm. putting on a vest like you do for people they don't even know. Mm -hmm. But there are a few. There are some who we need right. we need to get out of the industry. And I think that's indisputable. Oh, no, I'm not going to argue that at all. Absolutely. There's always a couple bad a apples in whatever bunch of yes. occupations that you pick. Absolutely. Uh, it kind of brings me to my next question here, uh, and I know we're kind of getting into the hour mark here, uh, but I, I know this is a very popular question uh, about recruitment and retainment. I know we get a lot of individuals, a lot of young men, a lot of young women that are soon to be getting out of high school, uh, getting out of the military or graduating college, especially this time of year, relatively soon. They normally watch the replay and they're kind of have one foot in, one foot out. With law enforcement like i kind of want to do it i kind of want the experience i kind of want the thrill but right now is not a good time uh what do you think i should wait do you think i should just not do it at all or should, should i go a different route uh what would you say to uh, those young men and women who are just now kind of getting out into the world themselves and want to actually experience uh law enforcement what, what would you say to them i'd say do research speak mm -hmm. to people like you i mean you have great experience and you're willing to speak to people, mm -hmm. uh, people who are in the industry, retirees who've done it and get get a feel for if it's for you. If it's not for you, we don't want you to <laughs> do it because this is something, it's a calling. Mm -hmm. Not to be fully committed. This is about protecting life and the stakes are high. So I would say, do your research. What I did was I made that decision after doing my research. Mm -hmm. I was complaining a lot about cops when I before I went into the FBI. Mm -hmm. And so I did some research. I spoke to a lot of people and I came to the conclusion that we need to be a part of the change. We mm -hmm. need great people to be a part of this change. Like what you're doing, you're not just doing what you're being paid to do uh, on the streets. This is something that you're doing to protect life. You've mm -hmm. created a podcast. You've created a platform to inform society about these very pressing issues. Mm -hmm. And it's because you're committed to it. 
this is this is this is why you were born. Hmm. We believe there are a lot of folks out there who fit that mold, extremely mm -hmm. competent, talented people, and we want them to give it a shot. But we we need them to be encouraged and inspired. Yes, and folks like you, that's that's what you do. You play a huge role in inspiring people because they look at you and they say, "Wow, look at the lives he's changing. Look at look at what he's doing." And he's not necessarily just talking about how cops are great. He's mm -hmm. talking about mistakes. He's talking about how community members are are right in pushing back sometimes. Mm -hmm. Reasonable. That's what we need in order to move forward. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate those accolades as well. Uh, ask you the second part of the question here. For those, it's no big secret. Agencies are having a problem hiring all over the country for various jobs. Um, but uh, in law enforcement in particular, so you got guys who are 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Uh, they're coming toward they're either in the middle or to, toward the end of their career now. Uh, and the, the thing that's going around is the quiet quitting. Um, it, it, you're feeling the pressure from above. You're feeling the pressure from below. You're feeling it from admin. You're feeling it out on the street. So many different things. Everything's pressure, pressure, pressure. What would you say to those officers that are seasoned? Um, uh, that uh, still have a little bit to go. What would you say to help them re revamp their their style to find motivation to make it to the end? If that's what they choose to do, that's a great question. Uh, so we had we have this happen all the time, mm -hmm. where that officer that's between ten and twenty years is in the audience when we are facilitating and teaching, mm -hmm. and they're they're just burned out. Mm -hmm. uh, they're disillusioned. Because they're constantly being attacked, mm -hmm. but they are in it for the right reason. They got in it for the right reason. They want to stay in it for the right reason, but all these other this other stimuli that's coming at them that's negative, mm -hmm. painful. So now they're just looking to retire. So they're they're crossing the X. They give putting X's by each day that mm -hmm. they have left, and they they're constantly on the countdown. Right. What we find is that those individuals can be encouraged if they know that they're loved, mm. that what they do makes a difference. Because mm. that's why they get into it, to make uh -huh. a difference. So we don't go into these education sessions to beat up cops. Quite the opposite. We go in to inspire and encourage them because what they do is it's fascinating but it's, it's needed and mm -hmm. we honor them. We mm -hmm. love them so much. So these officers who are at that point, they need encouragement. Mm -hmm. They need to know that what they're doing on a daily basis, the risks they're taking, that you're taking, mm -hmm. that, that it means something. Mm -hmm. And so we are a part of that. We, we implore society, communities by mm -hmm. community by community, to do the same thing, to encourage the officers that, you know what, we really do need you and we want to know you mm -hmm. and we want to we wanna be there to support you. But it's a process. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, it doesn't just happen where community does that. Community's hearts have to open too. They have right. to see the officers as human beings, mm -hmm. not as robots. And so that's right. why we bring them together in the way we do so that they can see the humanness of these mm -hmm. officers and then be supportive 
in going forward in how they're how they're addressing some of the issues together collaboratively mm -hmm. so, good answer i appreciate that answer as well and believe it or not you touched on basically the, the what the this podcast is generally about this podcast is here to humanize the badge to show different sides on both both the, the uh, community and law enforcement and humanize it and to have that conversation as well uh so you you hit the nail right on the head with that um because I know a lot of guys who have already retired. If they had the time, they since COVID and up until today, if they had the time, they went. They they they've been going out in droves. And then you got uh, a slew of others that are stuck right in the middle that are hanging on. Uh, and, and I mean, just that you're like you said, they to hear they hear the words that hey, you matter. Hey, we appreciate you. To be encouraged itself, I think would be a game changer in their life as well. So absolutely, yeah. hit the nail on the head. My, my children, since they were two, were they were taught, as soon as words came out of their mouths, they were taught to walk up to law enforcement officers and say, thank you for your service. Hmm. From the time they were two, they're nine and 10 now. Uh -huh. They do it unsolicitedly now, all the uh -huh. time. Thank you for hmm. your service. They look the officers in the eye and they say those words. And every now and then, an officer, you'll see it, the welling up <laughs> of tears, because uh -huh. you don't get that. No. Uh -huh. get thank yous. So now yeah. you have these innocent little 10-year-old 10, 10 and 9-year-old saying, thank you for your service. It mm -hmm. makes their day. And I that's the that. encouragement we need to offer our, yep. to our public servants. Yeah. Thank you for that. And thank you for sharing that experience. Yeah. That's... Yeah. That's that's something that uh, I will never leave our family because mm -hmm. my children will pass it down to their children as well, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back again uh, to wrap up the rest of this interview. But Sergeant Be Safe has uh, some things to say, so stay tuned. Hello, ma'am. Send me gift cards. And your credit card number's over the phone. Once Chance Wilder gets all of her information, we're going on a shopping spree. I'm talking Gucci, Fendi, and Prada. <laughs> I'll send the police to your house. You mean to tell me that if I don't send you my credit card number over the phone, you're going to come to my house and arrest me? Absolutely. I love shopping on Amazon Prime, especially when everything is free 99 I can't believe people are so gullible. <laughs> Sergeant, be safe. You're right on time. Can you help me? I sure can. Hello, wild chance. Oh, no. Sergeant, right. be safe. Never give out any credit card information over the phone. I can't believe you let be safe right to us. Run, you fool. Me? It isn't my fault. It was your idea. You're caught and going back to jail. Ooh. Remember folks, don't buy gift cards and give that or credit card information over the phone, especially to a stranger. It could be Chance Wilder and his partner getting ready to rob you blind. Remember, take it from me, Sergeant Be Safe, and that'll be your tip of the day to get you on your way. Subscribe now.
And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate you. Quentin, I appreciate you donating your time and coming on the platform. I truly do. Hearing your experiences, I mean, you, you, you've lived an incredible life. You've done so many wonderful things uh, and giving back to the community in every which way that you can is highly needed. And not only me, but I'm sure everyone here on the platform and those of you that will see the replay truly appreciate you. Uh, but before we go, I just want to ask, and, and do the course of conversation, uh, I may have forgot to ask a question, or your I may have jogged your memory. Is there anything else that you would like to say right now? The floor is yours. Well, I, pre I, I, I would like to say this. Clee, I really appreciate you. Thank I you. I appreciate what you do. You don't have to do this. You can collect a check. You can do what you have to do, do your job, and go home, and that's it. But instead, you've decided that you're going to ensure that you use your platform, the platform you have, to further your calling. I firmly believe that you are living in your calling. So thank you for what you do. We are we are uh, proud of and proud of you, proud of your the people like you who have decided to sacrifice the way you have. And we're honored to be working with you. And if anybody is interested in learning more about what D2C does, I would say, please, please feel free to go to www.dedicationtocommunity.org, dedicationtocommunity.org, and just look at what we're doing across the nation. We're always looking for more people to support us uh, in, in whatever way you can. It's not just about money. It's about giving your resources, your time and effort, energy and treasures to this mission. It's a movement and we're proud to be a part of the movement. Absolutely. I'm proud to have you on the show and I'm wa enjoying watching your movement flourish. It's, like I said many, many times before, it's very needed and it's very applicable. I've seen a couple clips uh, before we actually got you on the platform and just to see the engagement on how certain individuals i saw some in um in florida a couple others and other various other places and that it starts off a little rough like anything but think there's a positive outcome and that's needed that's needed on both sides it's needed on both sides and so i appreciate you as well for for bridging that gap and and living in your calling it, it yourself thank you sir thank thank you it's a pleasure to grow together with, with folks from different places and um and this is this is what we were born to do so we're going to keep doing it absolutely thank you very much ladies and gentlemen boys and girls thank you guys for tuning in this is black and blue where we go live weekly at 7 p.m eastern standard time with a special guest whether they're talking about their publications their training or their experiences who have, are is in law enforcement or first responder community whether they, they, they come here with their experiences, they share them, we learn from them, whether they're rookie season or retirees, and we have a lot of fun doing it. I got a special guest coming to the platform next week. I'd love to tell you who they are, but I'm not going to do that because I need you to tune in next week. So make sure you got tag, like, and share, and tune in for all next week. All right? We love you. 10-4, over and out. You guys be safe until then, and we're going to leave you out of here with a Sergeant Be Safe commercial, and we will be see you next week. Thank you. God bless.
I'm over here counting my stash. Cooper, get out of here. Last time you got me in trouble with Be Safe. This is a good spot to sell my drugs. Sergeant Be Safe, we just got a call for suspicious activity. Copy that, dispatch. Captain Chaos and his canine Kraken along with me are just now arriving on the scene. We'll stop and check it out. 10-4, Sergeant Be Safe. Oh no, cops! I'm out of here. Release the Kraken. Hey, we see your drugs over there. Stop running, treacherous Tony. We will get you. All right, all right, all right, I give up. I won't do it again. Yeah, yeah, you say that all the time. I'm sick of going to jail. Illegal drugs are a bad decision. Just ask treacherous Tony. This isn't a good view. Take it from me, Sergeant B. Safe. I want you to make good decisions. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Subscribe now.